Hello everyone this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn Educate Discover On this podcast we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes how do they go about exploring it further Now on today's episode we are going to be talking about product management in biotech and to help us understand this space our guest today is Matthias Pan who is a principal product manager with Pina Technologies a genomics based cancer diagnostics company that was acquired by Roche Sequencing recently prior to working in biotech Matt was group product manager with Dropbox which i'm sure is a company that many of you are familiar with and that also puts Matt in a very unique position because not only can he talk about product management in biotech but he can also compare that with working as a product manager in tech and in fact what you'll find is that in this discussion we focus primarily on the differences between working as a pm in tech versus biotech so if you'd like to get more of an overall view of what a product manager does and really go into a lot of detail about a product manager's job i would recommend listening to episode number 7 of led that features a senior product manager at linkedin and we go into a lot of detail about a product manager's job so do check it out but coming back to matt in terms of his educational background he has a bachelor's in economics and computer science engineering from University of Pennsylvania UPenn and after that he spent pretty much most of his career in tech except for one year that he spent as a management consultant with the Boston Consulting Group I should add a quick note that just like all other LED episodes all opinions expressed on this podcast represent opinions of the individuals themselves and do not in any way represent opinions of the companies where they work All right with that background let's welcome Matt Matt, hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for making the time for this because biotech is such an up and coming area. There's a lot of interesting things happening in this space, so it's I'm glad that we're finally doing an episode on biotech. <laughs> I'm glad glad to hear that. Yeah, so I was thinking that, you know, to set things in context for people because not, you know, this is an area which is still sort of up and coming maybe you can share an example of a problem or some kind of product that a lot of companies are working on right now and that is very promising yeah so yeah so i think one of the things that uh, a lot of companies are are starting to look at is a is something called liquid biopsy um and so you know just to in it, its effectively a generic blood based cancer test that has the promise of being able to detect cancer at earlier stages And so um you know just to contrast that with what what's existing today you know let's say that you let's say that you're a smoker and you you know start coughing at some point um you know you go to a doctor you know they run a series of tests and then you know they give you antibiotics and you continue coughing and then they eventually do some form of x-ray um and detect that that you have some kind of lump or tumor in your um your lung what happens next is that they typically do a biopsy which is a really invasive surgery where they effectively perform surgery to remove that tumor um uh, and then test it to see whether it's cancerous and obviously I'm, the example I gave was referring to smokers but it can happen to you know abs- people who are absolutely healthy you know have a good nutrition and good diet can happen to any one of us basically and i think in those cases the earlier that you detect the cancer um the you know and it's not the case with all cancers but the more likely you are to be able to to treat it. And so one of the things that's happening in the industry a lot of people are, fo- is, are focusing on is liquid biopsy where we now know that fragments of tumor DNA enter your bloodstream uh even from a you know decently earlier stage obviously at smaller concentrations and and the promise for what a lot of people are looking at is being able to detect those with improvements in how we do sequencing as well as improvements in how we interpret sequencing data so that you are able to detect you know detect those those tumor fragments at a pretty early stage and identify them with the risk of developing cancer and so if that works out um as we hope it will you know the future could be you know just as you go to a doctor to get a cholesterol test every year as part of that um it could be you know monitoring for early signs of cancer which would hopefully change the way cancer is both diagnosed and treated in the future so i think that's something that we're generally a lot of people are cautiously optimistic about you know i think we're still in the very early stages but um it's one of those things that holds a lot of promise for 
cancer, which takes many, many millions of lives every year, may be able to play a meaningful role in the fight against it. Yeah, absolutely. And then from what you've described, I guess the impact is that you're able to now, you might be able to diagnose cancer maybe even a few years before compared to what is possible now. Absolutely. You know, and to just to, so the very, very similar technology now is used in, in prenatal testing. So it's basically a very similar concept where, you know, in the past, you know, you would use some pretty poor forms of proxies to develop, to detect whether your baby, um, you know, would suffer from some kind of genetic condition, for example, Down syndrome. And, and, and then as a result, many people would do something called amniosynthesis, which is effectively you are puncturing you're basically getting amniotic fluid um, from your womb and testing that in order to, you know, determine whether your baby has some kind of condition. But now the same technology is used where, you know, fragments of the baby's DNA are now in the mother's bloodstream. And so you can then effectively test for those similar conditions by doing a blood test on the mother. So, you know, that's, so that, that technology is being used in other ways. And so, the hope is that we can use that in, in cancer as well. And again, your odds of survival are earlier before it's a chance to metastasize or spread to other parts of your body. So the earlier you catch it, the better your chances are. Okay. I think one thing which will be helpful before we talk about the role specifically of a product manager in biotech is if you can give us a quick overview of the biotech industry. What are the key areas you might find? And I think you are more familiar with some areas compared to the others. Yes, well, certainly I I can try um, with the caveat that uh, you know I've you know, been in this space for uh, less than a year at this point, and so you know a lot of my knowledge is is changing day by day, um, and and also certainly it you know reflects the specific company and and field that I'm in. So with all those caveats in place, um, you know I think that there are a few ways to think about the biotech industry. So you can think of it. One dimension that's helpful is. Are you focusing more on the pharmaceutical side, which effectively is uh, drug development? So, you know, drug development for, you know, we talked a lot about cancer. It could be for any other kinds of infectious disease. So pharmaceutical versus, you know, you're focusing more on the diagnosis of diseases. Mm. You know, so it's much more around detection rather than treatment itself. Obviously, in the end, those things are connected. But, you know, I think there are a couple of different branches of biotech a second dimension that's helpful to think about is, is this more of a biological system? Um, you know, so for example, are you looking for some kind of chemical or biological reaction to, det- to detect if a blood sample has HIV or, you know, you're developing some kind of new molecule for a drug? So biology versus hardware. Um, and so, you know, it could be hardware, for example, an imaging platform and then versus software. So software, you know, much more around data or algorithms or workflows. Got and so, yeah. um, and so obviously in different fields, you know, you use different combinations of those, of those different groups. But I think that's, uh, that's one way to think about another dimension of it. Um, and I think the last dimension is, are you focusing more on the research or the academic space? So, you know, are you building tools or platforms to help, especially academic communities and researchers make discoveries quicker? Or are you focusing more on the clinical side of things and, and clinical being, used in regular routine patient care, um, either at a hospital or at a lab that focuses on, on patients. And, you know, I think those also have very different characteristics where, you know, if you focus on research, you know, I think building a tool for research tends to be, you know, you focus a lot of kind of novel discovery cases, whereas clinical, um, the FDA monitors the clinical space a lot more carefully because all the work that you do will ultimately impact the patient. So those are a couple of dimensions that, at least for me, I find helpful to think about when I when I think through the broad space of biotech. Right. Actually, this is very very helpful because this immediately puts into context that okay, you know, if thinking from a candidate's perspective, someone who's interested in this space, they can think mm-hmm. about okay, where exactly do my interests align? So there is the what you described is I one dimension was the are you more interested in the diagnosis side of what is happening versus actual drug development the other dimension yes. was the hardware versus software piece and then the third dimension mm-hmm. was the research side and the academic side versus the clinical side so yeah so then and on the second dimension it's hardware software and also you know, I think kind of associated with the hardware, but also the biology and the chemistry side of it. Right, right. So then in yeah. that context, can you describe the role of a product manager? And actually, does a product manager exist in all of these 
dimensions that you described? Yeah, so I'm personally more familiar with the diagnostic space, um, just because that's, you know, the area that I um, am currently in. And, and I think, you know, and the reason I chose that is, I guess, somewhat related to your question, where I believe that I think I felt I would be slightly more useful in that space versus versus the form, you know, the other space of of drug development. But I think the so I think that product managers in yeah in biotech come in many different flavors. I think they're for the flavors that I think the tech industry is more familiar with, you know, particularly to do with software, data, algorithms. Yeah, so I think for, for those categories, I think product management maps a little bit more clearly to what the tech industry is used to seeing a product manager where, you know, you're responsible for some combination of really understanding what are the fundamental new pieces of technology architecture that enable, call it cloud-based or cloud-scale computing um, right. to improve the diagnosis of diseases. For example, you know, you work with customers, you understand what systems they're currently using, what they're doing today, how they like the current workflows. You know, you do some form of market research or strategy, you know, understand the science that's currently out there. You know, you're reading a bunch of papers and then effectively you then do a lot of execution, testing, iteration and prototyping. Um, so I think that that is the flavor of product management that I think we are in the tech industry we're more familiar with. And then I do think that there are a lot of product managers who tend to be a lot more either a commercially focused. So, you know, a lot of people actually in the industry have MDs and um, a combination of MD, PhDs, or and, and MBAs. And, you know, they're responsible for, for example, setting what is the drug roadmap that we want, obviously, in combination with their science teams or product managers who are, you know, much more focused on, on the science aspects and almost very, very involved with the, with the research and discovery work. So I think there are many different flavors. And I'm obviously most familiar with the kind that I am, which is yeah. the first. Um, and so, you know, effectively, which then, if you think about those dimensions that I talked about, kind of lend me to, you know, focusing slightly more on the diagnostic side, because, you know, I think diagnostics is where we're seeing the intersection of data and technology and the science, as well as systems that require more software. Um, because again, you know, I think I'm much more familiar with software cycles rather than understanding, you know, kind of unique biological reactions that happen when, you know, this <laughs> protein interacts with this kind right, of, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that answer your question. Yeah, absolutely. So this is very helpful because I completely agree with you, which is why I asked that, you know, there must be, I wasn't even sure if product managers exist in these other areas. So uh, there are clearly very different flavors of product managers, depending on where you're operating. You are sort of the typical tech product manager, except that you're working on a biotech kind of product, but you are basically applying big data and algorithms, etc., to come up with some diagnostics algorithm. So what might be helpful is if you can give us an example of a project that you've worked on, any project that stands out in your mind, and maybe we can walk through the stages of the project to sort of illustrate what this role is like. Yeah. Um, okay, so let me see. So the, the project that I'm currently working on is not released yet, so I can't fully talk about it yet. Mm -hmm. um, but what I can talk about is... so. You know, the company that I'm, that I'm working at, um, generally, we are focusing on, on genomics. So, you know, understanding the human DNA. And especially right now, a lot of our focus is on oncology, which is cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the unique thing about, well, unique and scary thing about cancer is that it's really a disease of your genome, um, which means that it's, it's a disease of something that's very inherent to you. And and a lot of times cancer happens because of mutations in your genome, which effectively is, you know, your body's natural, call it programming code that is designed to ensure that, you know, your cells reproduce. And when something goes wrong, the cells are killed off. But effectively, something goes haywire in your body's programming language. And, you know, your cells replicate and your body can't stop them from replicating. And therefore, you develop cancer. And this is as opposed to something, for example, HIV, where it, it comes from an external infection. Um, this is really, you know, your body's natural processes gone haywire. And it can be, obviously, that there's some things that you can do, for example, you know, not having a good diet or smoking, which can accelerate the rate of mutations. But it's also very much a statistical, 
you know, mutations just happen. It's almost a statistical thing that happens. And so a very healthy person can get cancer as well. And so anyway, that's, I guess, a long way to set up the context for why a lot of people, um, including myself, you know, believe that uh, genomics would be very fundamental to how cancer is especially diagnosed moving forward. So I think if we then think about, okay, how does cancer get diagnosed within the context of a genetic sequencing pipeline? And I think there's several different steps. Um, the first step is, you know, uh, so, what happens so, uh, is... Uh, so, so just to clarify over here, so yes. the, the product as such that you as a product manager own and are, are building and shipping is figuring out, okay, how can we figure out based on this genomics data whether a person has cancer or not? Well, yes. And, and I think the, so that is true. And I think that the, I guess the nuance of that is that even within the, the sequencing or genetic sequence, genomic sequencing pipeline, um, there are many, many different stages that are involved, some of which involved more, call it chemistry, some of which, you know, involve more hardware. For example, if you're building a sequencer, you are effectively reading a physical sample and converting that into a um, kind of digital signal of what your, you know, what your DNA is. And then there's a bunch of software that comes after, which is how do you interpret all of the genetic data that you observed um, and identify which ones of them are significant in the cancer. And so, you know, I think that many different people working on different parts of that pipeline, um, the company I'm at focuses more on the, especially more on the, the latter stage, stages of that process. Effectively, how do we interpret the vast amounts of genomic data that someone has um, and identify which ones of those are significant, which then, you know, connects them with a lot of the new targeted therapies that are being developed in the market. So to kind of, sorry, this, I guess it's again, um, I feel like, you know, as we mentioned with biotech, it's just, it's just hard because there's so many kind of layers involved that's hard to explain in a short amount of time. So sometimes I differ, I go to explaining too much so please tell me about it I yeah guess no, wait, no this, is, this is going great um, and and it's it's good that you're sharing details because as you're saying it is hard to understand so i am also understanding and sort of absorbing whatever you're saying so keep going okay good yeah. <laughs> sounds good um yeah so so for example um you know just to give an example of the kinds of products that someone may work on um is you know you want to take a I think that there are many different kind of complexities and problems within that overall workflow. Um, some of them have to do with workflow that's really complicated. Um, for example, you know, I think people, there are many different manual steps that involve throughout that whole process that I described. And, you know, I think there is, you could focus on how do we really automate that entire process um, such that, you know, you know, and almost build like a, like an ift engine, IFTTT engine, where, you know, you're able to decide how a, at every stage of the process, how the software or the, you know, the hardware knows what is the next, the natural next step to do based on what happened in the previous step. So that's an example of a product that one could work on. Um, you know, another example of a product that one could work on is how do we build a, so for example, there's a company called Illumina, which is the market leader in sequencing right now. You know, I think they're the most, they sell the most sequencers currently. Um, and they have a, the building out a software suite to effectively allow developers to build applications that would process the data that's coming out of the sequencer. So, you know, for lack of a better analogy, kind of like an app store, um, where, you know, a developer can say, I have now access to all the information that's coming out of a sequencer, um, which, you know, is effectively just giving you a, trying to figure out explain this in the simplest possible way it's like um, a data store that you can then figure out what you want yeah to do it's with. effectively really yeah. yeah a data store um you know and there's a company called helix which is a you know new um, startup which is trying to do again a kind of a public data store or or app store based on you know so you send them a sample of you know you send you send them a saliva sample they will then sequence your dna and then they will expose that data obviously with your consent to applications um, that you choose to install that then, you know, do a lot of interesting things. For example, let me recommend you nutrition advice based on, you know, how your body processes, you know, different classes of food. So I think there are hope, you know, that's another category of things that one could work on. 
Right, right. Okay, this is very helpful. And to me, I mean, would you would you say that it's accurate to say that a lot of these software based product management roles would require? I mean, it seems to be a lot about data analysis and big data and being able to figure out the patterns and causality sort of things. Would would that be accurate? Yeah. So that's a that's a good question. I'm thinking through whether that's. I think that's. I think that's largely true. Um, with the, well, I say with the caveat that I think any. So I think being a and being a product manager coming from a technical background, but not necessarily a scientific background, is a really interesting place to be because. So, let's say we contrast that with being a product manager in the tech space. Mm-hmm. So I think product managers tech space kind of operate have a very unique and frankly very powerful position uh, for better or for worse, where you know you are the subject matter expert because you know it's. Let's say you're building enterprise software. You know you can use that software. You know you're building a I don't know a chat application or you're building some kind of billing system or whatever it is. You you can understand that problem very very well, such that you are the subject matter expert. And then you know many you obviously have a very strong engineering team, but you know you really understand the technical architecture aspects of that. Uh, you set the strategy because you understand the market and your users and your competitors, and so you set the strategy. And so I think. Product managers within tech, obviously every company is different, but have a very unique kind of ability to understand every part of the product and set a vision and execute against it. I think within biotech, it, you know, I think in again every company and every individual is different, but I think that it requires a certain amount of humility because in many cases you are not the subject matter expert unless you know you happen to be one of those rare, I guess, rare unicorns who. <laughs> You yeah. know, has a PhD in molecular biology, and also yeah. you know has a computer science background, and also has an MBA or, or whatever it is, right? <laughs> so it's very rare that you get a combination of all those things. And so I think for someone like myself who has a technical background um, and a more kind of traditional product management background within tech, um, it requires knowing that I it requires understanding enough about the science and the biology, but also having a really strong science team that you work with and knowing when to defer to them versus when to push back while recognizing that you're not the subject matter expert. Yeah, I think the other part of it too is, you know, even with regards to setting the strategy, you know, I think the healthcare industry is just a whole beast of its own because the FDA comes into play and, you know, there is medical and insurance companies come into play with regards to how tests or drugs are reimbursed. And I think that brand and legacy matter a lot more in healthcare um, than in, you know, than call it in, in kind of consumer technology, because, you know, you don't just try out a new thing um, before you know that it really works or that this company has a history of doing the right thing. But you do that because you believe very strongly in the mission of what you do. And so, you may be willing to compromise on some of those, I guess, having, you know, more for better, lack of better word, power over those other things, um, because, you know, you want to operate within a system and a broader team that works to achieve a collective mission that you find very meaningful and impactful. So I think that's a kind of unique aspect of being a PM in biotech. Right. No, this is very helpful because it gives a good idea about what it's like to work as a PM in a regular tech company versus in biotech. Uh, you, you touched a little bit upon the, the key team members you're working with on a day-to-day basis. So you there's, of course, you. There's the scientific team who are the subject matter experts, in this case, on the biology side and chemistry side, maybe. I'm guessing there are the engineers who are actually coding the algorithm. Are there any mm-hmm. other? Are there any other team members? Yeah, so as with good, as with good software teams, I think you, know, you also have very strong designers especially as, you know, more and more of your, you know, I think a lot of the challenges in especially diagnostics have to do with how do we obviously process very complex and large amounts of data uh, from an architectural and technical perspective, but also how do we then surface the information to our users who are, you know, very highly trained and skilled, but also there's just a huge treasure trove of information. So what kind of visualizations or you know, how do you distill information to a way that's easily understandable and manageable? So I think that's why you need really, really good designers. And, and then I think there are a lot of commercial aspects within healthcare um, that are really important. So, you know, again, 
commercial people who really, really understand the market and, you know, how people think about purchasing software for, you know, talking about software, uh, people who understand the regulatory environment. So, you know, what are the things that the FDA cares about um, and how do we build such that, you know, if the FDA ever audited what you were doing, um, you would survive. And so, you know, I think that there are, there are a few of those additional types of roles that may not exist within a normal tech company. Right, 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 right. And could you briefly describe the typical timeline of a project? Because you hear a lot about, you know, internet SaaS companies as an example. You're literally releasing things every single day. I'm guessing that's not happening in this case. So what's a typical timeline for a project? Yeah, yeah. So I think this also depends on whether you are building for you remember I described, let's say, the, the breakdown between researchers or research versus more clinical applications. So if you're building more in the research space, it's possible to move a lot more quickly because, you know, your customers expect your tools to change. Obviously, if you change things, you know, I think they obviously have to incorporate the changes that you make into their regular workflows. Um, but, you know, I think it, it definitely frees you up to to move more quickly and then I think your timeline would probably look more similar to a typical SaaS company. Mm-hmm. I think if you're focusing on the latter, which is you're focusing on a product that will be used during regular, you know, that will be used in the actual patient care, um, then, you know, I think it's hard to give an exact timeline. But I would say in general that your product will, it, it will take longer to get to a stage where, so A, it'll take longer to develop because, you know, I think there's a lot more rigorous documentation and justification for everything you're doing. And then there's typically a slightly more protracted testing period at the end of it where, um, you know, you test it with as much real world data that you can obtain to ensure that the results that you have will be clinically valid or accurate. So, right. you know, I think that can push out your timeline. Um, and so it's, it's hard to, it's hard to give a, you know, is it 2x? Is it? 20% more? Is it 10x more? It's definitely not 10x more, but you know, it, it probably ranges from something like 50% more to two or three times longer. Right. I mean, I'm imagining... Back off the envelope. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm imagining it's at least a few months to a few years. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is also, um, you know, something I wish I could do more in my current job, but unfortunately, you know, it just doesn't work that way is... Um, I think a, a benefit that tech companies have, especially with if you're focused on consumer or even if you're an enterprise, but with a meaningful or critical mass of users, you can A-B test a lot more aggressively in tech um, because, you know, especially, for example, the thing that everyone talks about, which is A-B testing on a new user sign-up flow, yeah. you, can A-B te- you can run 100 experiments a day if you want because that you know, depending on your user base and how much traffic you get, you can hit statistical significance with that. Whereas in healthcare, I think, you know, you don't have, depending on what application you have, you probably don't have that many users. Um, just because if you're focusing on doctors or whatever it is, you know, they're not hundreds of millions of doctors in the yeah. world. And even that, you know, and because the risk of, if something goes tremendously wrong, the risk is obviously much higher. So you know, you don't have the same ability to A-B test as aggressively. So okay. I think you you then have to find other ways of learning, trying to speed up your learning cycles. And that could be, you know, doing a lot more user tests with mockups, et cetera, et cetera. So you learn and you find proxies for that kind of very quantitative A-B testing method of learning. Right. Okay. Could you give us a very quick overview of the kind, like if you were to pick one of the projects that you just described, let's say, how you're figuring out whether someone has cancer or not, how would you begin working on that problem as a product manager? And then what would you next until you finally have something that you can actually ship? Yeah, we'll go, I can talk, yeah, I'll talk about different stages, but I think to, I'm assuming that most of the people who, you know, listen to this podcast probably have some idea for what, or, I'm sure, you know, I know you talked to product managers in tech before, so I think that process isn't, dissimilar mm-hmm. with the where you know it involves some combination of understanding the market talking to customers you know figuring out your technology stack setting milestones and prototyping and you know hardening it along each step of the way doing user testing um, so I think that overall process looks 
similar with the exception of, I think, depending on how much subject matter expertise you have, there is a, a lot of science ramp up, especially at the beginning. Um, and, you know, and, and that can, even if you've been in the industry for a while, if that involves, you know, moving to a new field within biotech, there, there is a fair amount, there's a fair amount of learning. And I think yeah. that that can be intimidating for some people. And I think, I think it's super exciting, but I think it involves, you know, a lot of learning and a lot of reading and a lot of feeling like you're going back to school again. So I can talk about any of those stages, but uh, wasn't helpful. sure whether... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's very helpful because we have had yeah. a product manager from LinkedIn before on the podcast. And so the process yeah. is pretty much the same, except that you need to ramp up a little bit on the subject matter. Uh, did you actually mm-hmm. have to take biology? Like what level of expertise is needed? Um, well, so yeah, I think it's it's a good... Again, everything, every, you know, oh, I hate saying this, but every company obviously is different and depending on what they're looking for and depending on the current makeup of the team where, you know, I think sometimes you may have a team where you want someone who is, you're looking for that unicorn who is a bioinformatics or biology expert in addition to really understanding technology. Or sometimes you may choose to, you know, not try to fill it with a person who's an expert at both those things, but with two experts um, who are, you know, good at both of those things. And so I think for me, I, I studied computer science in school and going to, when I enrolled in college, I actually enrolled as a bioengineer, uh, because in a lot of my college applications, I wrote that I wanted to do very similar things to what I'm, I'm actually doing now. So it's funny that I then went into computer science, took my first programming class. Oh, I guess took a little bit growing up, but really my first major programming class in college and really fell in love with it. So hence, choosing to dedicate most of my academic career to, to computer science um, and then not taking any more biology related classes. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the last few years of my career, I've not at all, you know, as you mentioned, I was at Dropbox, yeah. um, but I, you know, while we had healthcare customers, we obviously weren't at all involved with the actual, yeah. you know, yeah. the science of what they were doing yeah. Yeah. Uh, beyond providing them a, you know, productivity platform. Um, and so I came in with, I call it very little knowledge beyond what I knew in a lot of my high school biology classes. And so, you know, I think a lot of my pre-work prior to even being initially interested in healthcare, um, and certainly upon knowing that I would be joining this company and upon joining, I think I just did a lot of reading to learn the fundamentals of, you know, how genetics worked and the four nucleotides in you know, the human DNA yeah, and yeah. what are the different names and how do they work together to to form proteins and how do proteins then influence your bodily function. So really understanding what that overall, you know, kind of a lot of the core biology, the fundamentals of it. I think and I think the I think the way at least I think about it is how do I develop enough of a framework about all the different building blocks and how you know how things work without needing to understand the details of every single case. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, looking at how genomics influences cancer, there are a whole bunch of different genes that are involved. Where, if you have a mutation in one of your genes, it can drive a cancer. And so, I know a few examples of what those. You know, I, I've seen a lot of gene names, but I only really understand how a couple of them work. Yeah. And then the rest of them, you know, you there's a certain degree where you obviously you trust your team and know that I'm building a consistent framework that applies across a bunch of different genes, but I don't need to necessarily understand the exact nitty-gritty of every single one, if that's helpful in yeah, answering your question. That's helpful. So I'm, I, the, the main intent behind this is that, let's say I'm, I'm already in the tech industry, right? And maybe I'm a product manager, maybe I'm not a product manager, uh, but I'm interested in working as a product manager for a biotech mm-hmm. company, right? Yeah. Do I need to have some like should I be preparing some sort of biology something before I begin applying to companies or should I focus more on the technical the sort of the data the data piece and then I can ramp up on the biology side once I'm in the company yeah um I think so again I think it really depends on what the company that you're looking at is looking for I think if you don't have any biology experience I would generally recommend looking for a company that is looking to hire someone who's really good at and has a lot of experience shipping products 
well-designed, well-built, well-architected products in tech and be really committed to learning. And some, so, you know, I think so some companies are very open about, we don't require any kind of biology experience. Mm. You know, you just join and, you know, you'll learn what you need to learn on the job. Some companies may say that, you know, for the role of what we're hiring for, we do actually require slightly more subject matter expertise, in which case, you know, either one someone with some form of background or some kind of degree in, in the field. Um, and so, you know, I think it really depends on your company. And again, what is the core thing that your company does? Can you abstract the biology away to a set of really the bunch of sensors that convert biological signals into data? And then you can, you really only think about data and algorithms and software or the product that you're working on actually involves, you know, the transformation from biological material to, you know, to kind of digital signal. So you actually need to understand the first part of it. So I think it, it depends. I think that for me, there were a few, th- I, well, I guess I can give a couple of things, examples of books that I find really helpful. There was uh, a book that I think I really was, was pretty amazing. Um, it's a book called The Emperor of All Maladies. And I believe the author is Siddharth or Siddhartha Mukherjee, but he's effectively an oncologist, I believe in New York. Um, and he writes this amazing biography of cancer, how the first cases that we believe we think our cancer right now, you know, were recorded even, you know, during the ancient Egyptians and just tracking to how cancer has been diagnosed and treated over time and how people used to do these crazy surgeries of you thought you had breast cancer, they would remove a huge section of your chest, even beyond to do these kind of radical surgeries to remove every single possible piece of tissue that could be connected to the cancerous tumor. And so he just writes this beautiful biography about cancer that I think is helps you really understand both the disease, but also some of the fundamentals about what causes cancer and, and how it comes about. And he then wrote a follow-up book called The Gene, which is slightly more technical, but again, I think still consumable as a, as a quote-unquote layperson um, like myself. And I think that he goes into much more what is our understanding of the gene from, you know, if you remember in your high school biology from um, Mendel's experiments of, you know, growing, I think, pea plants and seeing how their traits intersected with each other to our understanding of, of DNA and then how he believes it's going to be so transformative for healthcare in the future. So I think those are a couple of books that I read um, that were, you know, I think really, again, they're not academic books necessarily, but I think they gave me an appreciation for how the science and the biology intersected with the human experience of disease, intersecting with its history and how it's seen in the more public culture. And then I think, I guess, throwing in, the, throwing in another book reference, this one is not at all about biology, but much more about, um, you know, I think the human experience of, of suffering during disease, which is a book called When Breath Be- Becomes Air, written by a person, Paul Kalanithi. He's a, well, I guess he was a neurosurgeon and he became a neurosurgeon. He, Growing up, he initially considered becoming, a, I think, either a philosopher or a doctor because he was really un- interested with the question of life and death. And he, you know, thought that, I guess, medicine or philosophy would help him answer those questions, became a doctor, uh, amazing doctor, and then developed very severe lung cancer, was treated, got better for a while, actually went back to work. And then, it, you know, the cancer uh, relapsed, which is it came back. Um, and then he eventually passed away. But I think, you know, he just writes this, I guess, pretty amazing narrative of his understanding of the human experience and life and death throughout that process. And I think, I think those kind of c- combination of books, I think, were pretty formative in me. Well, for me, getting a better understanding for a how do I understand the science that's influencing, um, you know, one of the most major diseases facing humans today that we really don't understand very well. Um, and B, you know, how do I understand, I guess being a little bit more metaphysical, how do I understand my concept of purpose and mission and how my worldview, my beliefs about faith intersect with what I feel I want to use, what I want to contribute my skills towards. So I think that's, I feel like going to healthcare is a, so yeah, I think super important, super meaningful, impactful, but it's definitely not a, I guess, a walk in the park coming mm-hmm. from tech because there's just so much to ramp up on and so much where you realize that you don't know. And so I think it does require some form of commitment to 
learning and being part of a team that knows a lot more than you do. Yeah, yeah. I feel the conversation suddenly became a lot more serious because we we're talking about purpose in life. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm I'm sure that it's very very rewarding working in a space like this. I mean, we're literally talking about curing cancer as opposed to building an app, which is also really hard, like some sort of photo sharing app. But uh, I'm guessing this is a much more rewarding experience. So you're right. I, I do have a couple of re- recruiting specific questions, but before we get there, I just wanted to very quickly cover some of the more uh, qualitative aspects about this job. So you've already shared, I, I think, some very good reasons why something like this can be very, very rewarding and interesting. Are there any aspects about this job that you do not like? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think the you know I think there's there's a reason why healthcare has I, again don't really like use, using this word but this but this you know if you think about the concept of disruption which is always thrown around in the tech industry I think there's a reason why healthcare has not been quote unquote disrupted as quickly as other industries have been and that's because I think that a there is a lot of regulation in this space. Um, and I think, you know, regulation has a good side and a bad side to it, where effectively, you know, for anything that, again, impacts meaningful patient care, the FDA cares about what you do. The good part of that is that, you know, when a product does go through, you know, all the required FDA processes, it means that there is a certain form of quality stamp that, you know, a user or a doctor can trust. The downside of it is that, Anything that has a lot of rules and regulations and documentation, inevitably you pay a an innovation and a um, efficiency tax. You just can't move as fast, and so I think that that is a source of frustration. You know, I think a lot of the secret is just how do you know the system so well so that you can figure out ways of doing all the things you need to do, but doing them really effectively and doing them well. But I think that's. That's definitely a, a big learning curve for me personally and something that I, um, you know, I, I certainly miss the days of, you know, just deciding that we wanted to do something, A-B testing it, you know, in a couple of weeks, you see the results, they look good, and then you ship it and you push it out. And that's something that I don't get to do anymore. So yeah. <laughs> that's, I think, a big, probably, I think, one of the things that's that's been the biggest challenge um, and that's different for me. Yeah, yeah. And as a product manager, I mean, there's not a lot that you can do about it, right? Yeah, unfortunately not. You know, you're talking about systems that are much bigger yeah. um, and broader than yourself and your team and your project. Yeah. And again, you know, so I, I think that it's a it's a it's a good and bad thing overall. Yeah. Are there any stressful situations that you face on the job? Hmm. Okay. So I think that 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 you know I think what I talked about was certainly one of them because that also means that as a product manager you you end up writing a lot more documents than you're used to you know i think a lot of pms are just just want to build things and do it really quickly and so that kind of can be stressful in itself i think the other you know stressful i guess stressful is also although it's also a mindset shift is i think that coming from tech and again not being a subject matter expert i think you need to be used to saying something and there being a decent chance that what you're saying is wrong, either from a perspective of it, it's not scientifically right, you know, when you're having internal team discussions, or it reflects a an understanding about healthcare that you don't fully have yet. And so I think that, I think you need to be a lot, I guess, a lot more comfortable with personal failure. And depending on where your level of comfort with that, that can be really stressful when you're used to being right and being the expert at something, and then all of a sudden having that not always be the case so I think that's another thing that I I don't know I think sometimes stressful for me um yeah yeah um, I I can imagine that especially if you're if you do not have that subject matter expertise then you're always sort of checking everything again and making sure that you're right and then turns out you are actually not right so uh that can be stressful so if you were to if you were to think about a couple of qualities let's say five qualities in someone who would really excel in a job as a product manager in the biotech space, what mm-hmm. what do you think those would be? And it'll mm. be it'll be helpful. I mean, I'm okay if they are generic, but I, I'm also looking like you know something unique that you might find in this person. Totally, totally, right? Totally. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, I think we are. Yeah, we won't cover the things that you normally require to be good, be a PM in general. Um, I think that there are a few things I think I 
I think I tend to look for it now when we are recruiting um, PMs, or I think may also make someone successful. One is, I think you really need a really strong innate curiosity and desire to learn about new things, especially a lot of the biology and the science and, you know, the field is changing rapidly. You need to constantly, you know, use, you need to know all the latest things happening in tech, but you also need to know all the things happening in biology and be able to understand the fundamentals and be able to explain them to your team and explain them to customers. And so I think having that really strong innate curiosity about about biology and, and just the world in general, I think is one thing that's required. I think a certain a second thing that comes to mind is I think you need a degree of resilience and being creative in how you solve process and especially process problems, which I think require resilience. Because I think that sometimes, you know, I on a bad day after thinking, you know, if we are trying to figure out how to do something in a way that will be well, is following what the FDA requires. I think that there can be days when you just get upset about why you have to do all of those things. And I think that it just requires some degree of mental fortitude and being like, okay, this was, I know I need to do this. So what is the way I can do this most accurately and efficiently? And I guess find the pleasure in trying to design a efficient process. So I think you're applying creative and innovation yeah. in new ways. And yeah. I think that requires a lot of mental resilience because, you know, I think in Typically, I think everyone hates paperwork and bureaucracy. So, yeah. but it's just a necessary condition of the system. So, how do you figure out ways of dealing with it? So, those are a couple of things that come to mind that I think are a little bit more unique and different than what makes a good PM in general, especially in tech. Yeah, I mean, if you were to quickly just say, otherwise, like, what are some standard things that you would look for in, in a PM in, in tech, which you would expect yeah. over here also? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, really good with um, with people. Again, you're working with so many different people, and I think, you know, I think in our team we joke about you need to be a really good ninja. Um, <laughs> ninja being that you know, if someone doesn't want to do something, how do you figure out ways of convincing them or quote unquote incepting them to <laughs> to also believe that's the right thing? Or if not, you know, being able to have a really good direct conversation and and figure out the best way for the team. Being an excellent communicator and i and i think that's not communicator in just uh kind of the average sense of it but i think very clear communication involves being able to very quickly synthesize what you are trying to say what everyone is trying to say decompose it into its fundamental elements in a way that everyone understands and then use i guess your communication skills to help guide a conversation about the best path forward, especially when they're competing thoughts. Um, oh, and then I think one additional thing, which I guess that just reminded me of and also comes to something I think is a little bit more necessary in biotech rather than just tech is I think PMs is really important for a PM to be a bridge between a whole bunch of different functions. And that means you need to figure out how to take something that's more science related and convert it into something that an engineering team can execute on. Um, and you need to be able to communicate those constraints to a science person, depending on the level of expertise of your designers or familiarity with the subject matter. Again, you need to figure out how do we take a science problem and decompose it such that we can approach it and apply good design thinking and being able to bridge those gaps and really knowing your audience and speaking the language of the people that you are communicating with, I think are, it's not an easy skill to develop, but I think it's something that makes really good PMs, especially in a field that's so multidisciplinary like biotech. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess on, on the PM, on the tech side, you would also want them to be technically technically savvy to some extent. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That, um, that certainly is, you know, I think absolutely critical, especially since it's, you know, we're talking about software and massive amounts of data that require huge amounts of scale. So I guess I'm using a lot of tech buzzwords there. Um, but, you know, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think technical, a strong technical understanding, be it from an academic background or past experience or a lot of interest in the space is, I think, very, very necessary in some form of fashion. Yeah. Okay. So if I am trying to figure out, let's say I'm at the beginning of my career and yeah. may maybe I have a grad degree, maybe I worked for a few years, but still relatively early in my career. And if I'm trying to figure out whether I should get into product management in tech versus biotech, how would you help me decide? Yeah, I, I think it, let's see. Um, 
So I, I guess I, I would start by saying that I don't think biotech is for everyone, not in the sense that, because I do think it, it involves its own unique set of challenges that I think can be very, very rewarding, but also can have its fair share of challenges. And so it's not, I think it's something where, you know, I think going into it, it requires a certain degree of conviction, willingness to learn, and almost, you know, to use the word calling, it almost requires some form of that too. And that's not to intimidate anyone from doing it, but I just think it's not, it's not the kind of thing that, you know, you, you go in and you try a bunch of small prototypes and experiments, see what works, doesn't work, doesn't work. You just try something else. I, I think it, it takes a little bit longer than that. Um, so. I mean, you could even say yeah. it could even be in the, in, in the form of career path. Like, for example, you could say maybe you, maybe you start with PMing in tech and, you know, sort of build certain PMing skill sets there. And then maybe at a later point decide to get into buy. I mean, it, it could be an answer like that. Also, yeah. it doesn't have to be like in this in this moment in time. I have to decide. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. Um, yeah, I, I think if you were to look at, yeah, I guess typical paths. You know, I think that's certainly the path that I took, which is starting off in tech and then moving on to biotech. That's you know, and again, maybe it's a function of the social circles that I'm in. I think most of the people I know who are in biotech also have happened to take that route. But I, I think it's a, you know, and I think the hope, my hope is that over time with as biotech, you know, I think especially as a, the the technology and the data side of that grows, the barriers to entry into the biotech space for someone who's interested in the space would hopefully decrease. Um, and it certainly decreased. You know, I certainly couldn't have joined this industry 10 years ago. I just wouldn't know anything to be useful at all. But I think that two areas are intersecting. And so you know, I think it then comes down to a combination of what are, you know, I do think thinking very deeply about what, what do you want your mission in your vocation and your work and how do you find fulfillment? I think that's a really important question to answer that helps you think about those. If you think about what are the, you know, what gives me, you know, satisfaction in terms of, I think if you think about the idea of, you know, I guess learning and impact, I think that you could make a very good case in either direction because, you know, I think with tech, it is the benefit of moving really quickly and and learning a lot throughout that process in ways that, you know, I think the learning cycles aren't quite as quick in biotech. So you do certainly pick that up. I think that in biotech, you get exposed to a lot more multidiscipline expertise. Um, in tech, I think that, you know, you have people who are super deep and are amazing engineers. And I do think that a lot of really, really amazing engineers in biotech too, but I think you think about concentrations of the kinds of talent that you are around, you know, I think tech is from a technical architecture standpoint, I think a lot of that. Um, yeah. So I think those are just some of the different dimensions. I, I'm also, I, I do know people who started off in biotech and then moved to tech mm. and also the other way around. So I think there's no one unique career path. Okay. So that's a very long non-answer <laughs> to what you're asking. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I guess you have to figure out what you enjoy doing. Is the Yeah, exactly. I do, yeah. I do think it's a, it's a part of that. Yeah. 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 So what is the, so it's, I mean, I don't know how, how active is the startup scene in biotech. I know that there's a lot happening, but let's say I make up my mind, I want to get into biotech. What's a good way to apply and what's a good way to get noticed? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's a good way to apply and get noticed? I think that, so, you know, I think some of the routes that I know, at least people I know have, have taken um, in is just especially if you know someone in the biotech space, just spending time with them, understanding the kinds of works and the problems that they work on and the science and what the company, you know, what kind of deep challenges that their company is trying to solve. I think just getting a bunch of different examples then helps you start placing, developing some kind of model for what the overall space looks like um, and how you want to, and what kind of things interest you the most. So, you know, and I, I gave some of the examples I listed way at the beginning of this, where I think a lot more to do with very much a life sciences aspect of healthcare itself. Right. Um, but within the broader healthcare space, you know, there are a lot of companies that are tackling super important problems in, you know, insurance and healthcare payments, or, you know, you're, they're working on telemedicine where, it, you know, better platforms to connect doctors and patients or, um, you know, so those are examples where you really don't need that much specific understanding of science, mm-hmm. but you can actually work on pretty important fundamental problems within healthcare. So, 
you know, I think there, there are lots of different ways and, and I think it's important to understand, to get some understanding of a whole bunch of different parts of that, of the healthcare space and which ones of them you find most meaningful um, or most interesting to you. And then once you've, you know, I think interested in one of them, uh, you know, again, not necessarily great that the system or definitely not great that the system works like that, but I think always finding a personal connection to a company is always the best way, whether that's going through VC recruiters because they know a bunch of healthcare companies or, you know, friends in the space, you know, or, you know, you want to be brave and do a LinkedIn outreach to someone. I think that's obviously always way more meaningful or, or not meaningful, but, but effective or efficient than trying to drop your resume somewhere. And then I, I do think, you know, I think all you want is you want that first conversation that you can get with the team, because once you get that, then, you know, you can show your curiosity. I think one thing I I tend to look for in, in people who I interview is what kind of questions do they ask me? And, it, you know, I think for people who are just extremely curious and there's almost like a never ending stream of questions such that I need to be like, all right, now let's transition <laughs> such that I can ask you some questions. Yeah. I actually consider that a really good sign because, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that you need if you're going into a new space. And mm. so not being afraid to ask questions, even if they sound stupid, uh, but just showing that kind of very deep, curiosity, I think, um, is really the first step into to continuing the rest of the conversation and getting, I guess, noticed. Yeah. Okay. And uh, just the LinkedIn outreach point that you mentioned, could you share an example of when you have responded to a completely cold LinkedIn message, someone that you do not have a mutual connection with? So it's not like, oh, looks like this person that I know also knows this person. So he or she is probably okay. Have you Have you done that? And if yes, what made you do that? Uh, so you mean when recruiters reach out to me or I guess when me being in the space and someone was just, I want to yeah. learn more about what you do. Exactly. Like some okay. candidate who was, who wants to, it doesn't have to be necessarily in biotech. I mean, I'm talking more from a, from a cold mailing perspective, right? That I'm sure people have reached out to you in the past when you were at Dropbox. If, yeah, if there yeah. is a certain kind of message that attracts your attention more. Ooh, you're asking the... <laughs> If I knew the answer, every <laughs> recruiting source in the world would pay me a lot of money. Um, <laughs> um, um, well, um, so it's a good question. I'm trying. To, I'm not sure I can think of any. No examples come to top of mind. Well, fun fact is actually the the reason I joined the company I'm at right now is the recruiter, um, Lady Tina, reached out to me and she just. I almost never respond to recruiter call emails, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was because she just connected it to the deep sense of the mission, which was something that, you know, I think I was very, I was very hyper-conscious of. And I wasn't necessarily even looking for a job, although I knew I was, you know, maybe my next move, I wanted to be in healthcare because of the mission component. And then, and so I think that just really resonated with me. And so I started the conversation. You know, I think ultimately, I think it comes, again, it's hard because, you, you, you know, you don't have that many characters to express yourself. But I think if it comes from a place that's really genuine and, really curious about something. I think people can detect and understand that. I think it's, so I don't think I, I necessarily have tips for like any random cold email that you just want to send. But I think if hopefully if you really care about it, it will show and that person can, can pick it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, but I don't think there's a silver bullet. <laughs> no, <laughs> and, and I think that's fair. That's fair. I mean, if there was a silver bullet, everyone would be doing it. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're right that uh, I guess people are looking for some level of, authenticity and it and it totally. really showed that yes this person is genuinely interesting interested in speaking with me about whatever topic it is uh, yeah but, uh, you mentioned three books as really good resources would you want to recommend any other resources for anyone who is interested in learning more about product management in biotech or, or even otherwise yeah i don't think any there's nothing comes to mind specifically a product management biotech so I guess someone should write more about it. Um, but I do, I do think, and part of that is because I think that the model for product management that in biotech, that that is what we have in the tech industry, I think is um, a pretty, it's a new thing and hopefully it's a growing thing, especially as software becomes a bigger and bigger part of it. But I don't think that, I think that, you know, I think for me when I was looking at, you know, I think a really interesting thing even to begin with is when I was, when I was looking at, PM jobs in um, in biotech, uh, and you know, once in a while, when I do my 
yes, you know, when, when, when say Tina reached out to me, I was like, oh, interesting. Now let me, I should, I should see what else is out there before I, yeah. you know, kind of go all in this company. And I think you even see that, you know, product management biotech re- reports up to in different places, they report to different teams. And so in some companies, they actually report it up to marketing. In some places, they report it up to, you know, or engineering or a special product management. In some places, it was a combination of design and product management was in one area. Some cases, I even saw some that were part of a BE org. Um, and so I think that's, again, a reflection of how different um, they are in all those different places. And obviously, you know, which org you're in probably influences the flavor of product manager that they're looking for. And so I think all that to say, I think that's, I don't think there is as clear cut a model for product management in the way that, you know, I'd say that Google really paved the way for PMs to become, oh, you know, they're one of the biggest examples for how PMs, they were able to make PMs really effective. Um, and then I think it kind of set the model for the rest of the industry in tech. Uh, I don't think that really exists yet in biotech. So I think everyone's kind of, kind of crafting their own, their own path. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that that was... That helps, that helps. Okay, so I mean, that, it's, that just says there's no, I guess, no easy answer. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... <laughs> which the re- I felt I said a lot of today. <laughs> the, the resources yeah. that I think, I think the important thing over here is that this is a... Clearly, it's a relatively new space and there's a lot totally, happening. Totally. So you should just try and connect with as many people as you can who are in the space and can tell you what's yeah. happening, right? Uh, yeah, and, um, and also uh, talking about resources... Wikipedia is a very good friend of mine, um, <laughs> especially as just realize, you know, so it's, you find, you know, even those things you just find very useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one yeah. more question. I, this was sent in by someone, by a listener. This is not about product management and biotech, but about product management overall. And the question yeah. is that how important is an MBA to get into product management? Uh, I So, okay, I think that there are, there are different schools of thought in, let's say, the tech field. I think it's easier for me to start thinking about there. Um, I think that there are some companies that can take a... I know I've known some companies that take the signal of someone having an MBA as a negative signal. Um, again, not necessarily justified, but I think that you know they, they, they take that on the basis of stereotypes about what an MBA candidate looks like. Um, and instead, they say they choose to bet on more technical and less more technical talent that don't have kind of the, you know, I think tech has a certain rebellious streak to it. So, they, you know, if you're part of that school of thought, you're like, you know, I don't want to go for what the standard conventional brand names are, for example, an MBA from a really good MBA school. Um, but I want to look for like really scrappy, creative, innovative, mm-hmm. technical people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's some companies that say that, you know, actually, you know, we're not going to take such a strong view, but, you know, we evaluate every candidate that comes in. And especially if our company works more with external partners, you know, there's kind of a lot of market research that we need to do. Having someone with this type of training actually could be really helpful. And, you know, be that MBA, be that experience in a more business or strategy or commercial type function at a different company we then will look for that. So I think you see the spectrum in terms of what people look for. So I think for that listener, if you don't have an MBA, don't get one just to become a PM because (laughs) there are many companies that will hire you less with an MBA than before. Um, But if you have an MBA, you know, you you have a really important skill set that many companies will appreciate. So I think there's enough variety in terms of how people think about it. Right. Uh, quick, if, I mean, if you don't mind sharing, would you be able to share some companies that try and shy away from MBAs? Oh, I don't. I I don't know. Um, and you know, I think companies change when you're smaller. You maybe you feel that way, and then mm-hmm. you know, you may change. So I, I I don't think I could give you names, and even if I did, I'd probably get into trouble with yeah. those people <laughs> that's so. what i was wondering they were like no <laughs> yeah. whatever you say okay uh, that's fine that's fine yeah. no worries yeah, at all. yeah okay well, this was great matt super super helpful slightly technical discussion but i'm hoping that people who are really interested in the space will want to really understand what it's like uh any... yeah sorry about that no. <laughs> yeah if you need me to clarify any of those things feel free because it's easy once you get into a space you just use a certain vocabulary and then if you listen to yourself from an outside perspective, you're like, I don't understand anything you said. So <laughs> no worries. Totally f- uh, any other advice you'd like to share 
uh, with someone who's considering getting into product management in biotech? Like parting advice. Um, parting advice, I think it's, it's you know, it's just repeating what we say. I think it, it's a very, um, it can be very, very meaningful, the work that you do and comes with this fair share of challenges. But I think it's, I'm obviously not that long into it. Um, so, you know, maybe ask me again in, in a year. Um, but so far, I'm very thankful I made the switch and I feel like it, you know, I think I was going through a period where I was really soul searching in terms of like, what do I, how, how do I want my work to contribute towards renewal? Um, and this was something that I found meaningful. Okay. All right. That's a great note to end the episode on. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. Just before you leave, do remember to sign up for our newsletter on our website, learneducatediscover.com, where we share updates on new episodes, a lot of career-oriented resources, and a lot of other inspiring stories and videos and podcasts that we find online. So do check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You'll also find the library of all the other podcasts that we've done in the past on the website. Of course, if you have any questions at all, or if you just want to say hello, you can always email us. Just drop us a mail at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. That's LED underscore C-U-R-A-T-O-R. Of course, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover or you can also subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, Bye-bye.